welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Tom Cantor is the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, and more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God can be found at our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Today's message and past messages can be found at our websites for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. God directs us, come to him through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And it says that it starts off in Romans 3, very familiar verse, 323, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then it goes on, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. See, that's God's singular way to be accepted, faith in his blood. And that's why the Lord Jesus said in John fourteen six that he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me, singularity. And no man cometh unto the Father by me, one way. And Cain did not respect God's only way for acceptance through the blood. And Esau did not have respect for God's singular blessing. See, it's all about respecting God's way, God's way of salvation. David emphasized the importance of respecting this. He said in Psalm 119.6, Then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. In Psalm 119.15, I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. In Psalm 119, 117, hold thou me up and I shall be safe and I shall have respect unto thy statutes continually. So when Esau says, you know, hast thou but one blessing, he doesn't have respect. And then he goes on to say in verse 38, bless me, even me also, O my father. It's clear that Esau does not see God as the ultimate decider. Esau only sees his father as the ultimate decider. That's like Balak the king of Moab, who had hired Balaam to curse Israel. Balak only saw Balaam in Numbers 23, 11, and 12. Balak said unto Balaam, what hast thou done unto me? I took thee to curse mine enemies. Behold, thou hast blessed them altogether. You don't understand. But Balaam answers in verse 12. He answered and said unto him, must I not take heed or respect to speak that which the Lord hath put in my mouth? And now you saw the intensity of his grief is so great. And it shows that, you know, when he finds he doesn't get the blessing, he just, he really hits rock bottom. And it shows Esau's only living for the present. And when the present goes sour, the ground gives way underneath him. And when the present is lost, when the present is lost for Esau, the blessing, everything's lost for Esau. He has no hope other than the present. Esau has no concept of Psalm 17. And the last verse in Psalm 17 says, in verse Psalm 17, 15, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. See, that verse speaks of the Christian's hope because it's in the future. 
I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. See, in this life, we have many disappointments. That was a disappointment for Esau. Esau, welcome to the club. We also have many, many disappointments. We have many frustrations. And ultimately, we're not satisfied in this life. But there's one word that describes the Christian who dies in Psalm 17, 15. He awakes satisfied. When he sees it, I'm like Christ. He's satisfied. It's as it says in 1 John 3, 2. Behold, now are we the sons of God. Doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, we shall be like him. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Jane Knapp, she grew up in a Christian home, and one Sunday, when she was only five years old and it was a Sunday morning and the family was, was scurrying around getting ready to go to church, she comes up to the side of her father in the midst of everybody trying to get ready, and she says, Daddy, she says, Daddy, I want to take Jesus into my heart. And Mr. Knapp wrote about it. And he says he knelt down with his little daughter, and he prayed with her. And he noted she was very quiet during this. She just asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into her life and be her Savior. And then her father wrote that when she got up on her feet, there was a great joy in her and him as well. And so from that point on, her faith in Christ just kept growing continuously. Her enthusiasm for the Lord Jesus just kept getting stronger and stronger. And what grew in her heart was a strong desire to serve God on the foreign mission field. And as her desire grew to serve God, she focused on Paul's words where he gave his explanation of why he is involved in preaching the gospel and what happened to him. And it's all found and it's wrapped up in three verses in Romans 1 as Paul is explaining. He's explaining what happened. And the more that Jane's desire got to serve in the mission field, the more important these words of Paul became, where he said, Paul said in Romans 1, 14 through 16, I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So much as as me as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, those verses became more and more important to Jane. And those three phrases that Paul was using to express why he's preaching the gospel, those three phrases became her phrases in Romans 1.14. I am debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians. In Romans 1.15, I am ready to preach the gospel. In Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed. And this became the strong desire, and she wanted to go to Thailand. And she, Thailand is what she focused on. The Far East was calling her, and she kept saying to herself, I am debtor, I am ready, I am not ashamed. And she was meaning I, to go to Thailand. And so she learned everything she could about Thailand, and she longed to go to Thailand to preach the gospel. But as she was doing this, and she was preparing to go to Thailand, she was already in the grip of a wasting disease on her body. And her body was slowly being consumed by this disease that just drained her of all her strength. 
except for her love and devotion for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more she wanted to go to Thailand to preach the gospel, the more her body was being consumed away. And she struggled with questions. Why? The heavens seem like brass. Why? How am I to reconcile my strong desire to serve God as a missionary in Thailand with God's decision to not heal me from my disease? And she could see that her life on earth was just going to be, it was just draining away. She could see that soon she was going to die. And she struggled with questions. She struggled with questions as her present condition got worse and worse. And she struggled with questions and anxieties. And it was this verse in Psalm 1715 that quieted her heart. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And from this verse, when Jane was 18 years old, just barely turned 18 years old, she triumphed over her questions and her worries. I mean, here was an 18-year-old girl desiring with all of her heart, go serve the Lord in Thailand. And the more she wants to go to Thailand, the more she sees her body being eaten up in disease and she knows she's going to die. She's deeply troubled. And at the height of her disease, right alongside this verse in her Bible, in Psalm 17, 15, Jane, right alongside this verse, as for me, I shall behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. She writes these words. All the puzzles, all the problems, all the doubts, all the despairs, all the wonderings, all the wishes of my heart finish right here. She said, I shall see him, and he will be the answer to the whole perplexity. And she wrote that in her Bible next to that verse. And then October 30th, 1965, just shortly after she reached her 18th birthday, she died. And immediately she was satisfied because she woke up in his likeness and she beheld his face in righteousness. See, what Jane had and what Esau did not have is hope. Hope that's expressed in a poem that goes like this. What a joy and what a satisfaction will be mine in that great day when I awake with Christ's perfection nevermore to decay. And the reason why I'm certain is that I know God's righteousness through his son, my Lord and captain, who absolved my sinfulness. So I know I shall behold him unashamed and satisfied, then no longer a poor pilgrim, but a Christian glorified. So when the believer, when it all goes wrong, that's the hope. Psalm 17, 15. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. But what we see in Esau is what we see in every lost person when everything goes wrong, which is expressed in the last words of verse 38, Esau lifted up his voice and wept. There is a lifting up of voice and a weeping that is characteristic at funerals where there's no tangible hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's awful. There is a lifting up of the voice and weeping that's so terrible that is coming to the lost, like Esau, who live only for the present. And that's why we work so hard today to bring the gospel so that people don't die without the hope of Psalm 1715. Because Esau's tears here, they're not tears of, oh, I've been so wrong. They're not tears of, I've been so lustful. They're not tears of, I've been so hard-hearted toward God. Their tears of, 
I lost my inheritance. They're tears of, I have been wronged. And with his tears, he looked for Isaac to repent. He looked for Isaac to disown Jacob who tricked him and give the inheritance to Esau. And he sought it carefully with tears, that repentance from Isaac, as it says in Hebrews 12, 17. For you know that afterward, when he would have received the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. And he found no place of repentance in Isaac. And Isaac was not about to change his mind and give the inheritance to Esau. And those words, he found no place of repentance, those are terrifying words. They're tragic words. And they characterize the lost and how they'll try to get God to change in his mind. Change your mind. Come up with the idea of purgatory, maybe. But uh, just because I refuse the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ dying for my sins, please let me find a place of repentance in your eyes and change your mind. And God says, no, he found no place. Repentance. So when Esau is lifting up his voice and weeping, this really rocks Isaac deeply. It moves him deeply. And we read in verse 39, And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling should be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of the heaven from above. I mean, Isaac is emotionally moved. This really hits him. Now Isaac makes his blessing on Esau. You know, but it's an interesting word. It's an interesting word in verse 39 before he makes his blessing, and it's the word answered. (laughs) See, the word answered in verse 39 shows us Isaac's blessing was an answer to Esau's lifting up his voice and weeping. See, the word answered, coupled with Isaac's statement at the end of verse 37, what shall I do unto thee now, my son, shows us that the only reason Isaac made this blessing for Esau was emotional because of his feeling. In verse 37, Isaac realized from God's perspective, there's no blessing Esau. But in verse 38, Esau argues with Isaac over his issue of only one blessing. And Esau leans hard on his father with, bless me, even me also, O my father. And then Esau throws his fit and he lifts up his voice and weeps. So Esau is pressing this hard. You know, he keeps pressing here. He's pressing, my father, see it twice. My father, my father, Avi, Avi, in verse 38. And this is too much for Isaac. He cracks. And so we have the word, he answers. Okay, I answer you know, in verse 39. And the word answered is used in verse 39. Isaac's not answering God. God is not asking Isaac to bless Esau. Isaac's not answering God's call to bless Esau. Isaac is answering Esau's call for the blessing. And the blessing that Isaac gives in verse 39 is not based on Isaac's spirit, on his knowledge, responding to God's call to bless Esau. See, the blessing that Esau gives in verse 39 is based on Isaac's feelings, on Isaac's emotions. He's melting. Isaac is melting under Esau's pressure for him to bless him. And in verse 39, Isaac is not led to bless by his knowledge of Esau and God. In verse 39, Isaac is 100% being led by his feelings for Esau. So what verse 39 is showing us is how dangerous it is for us to be led by our feelings rather than by our knowledge. In verse 37, Isaac was led by his knowledge, his knowledge of Esau and his knowledge of God. And he said, what shall I do unto thee, my son? But in verse 39, Isaac has fallen down from his state of being led by his knowledge of Esau, and he has fallen to the state of being led by his feelings, being led by his emotions. 
And the only way that Isaac was able to be led by his feelings to bless Esau in verse 39 was by allowing his feelings for Esau to be elevated over his knowledge of Esau. As a matter of fact, that's the explanation for the whole problem in Isaac's life. Now, why Isaac loves Esau instead of Jacob? Because Isaac had a lifelong problem of allowing his feelings for Esau to be elevated over his knowledge of Esau. See, here's knowledge, here's feelings. Which one's going to be elevated? His feelings or his knowledge? And in Isaac, we see this in the example here of Isaac with Esau, and it's a guide for us. It's a guide for us because in this, Isaac, we see our own internal conflict between knowledge and feelings. And we know, we know something's wrong, but we want it. We want it anyway. We feel, I know she's not God's choice for me for a wife, but I love her. That's the conflict between knowledge and feeling. That was the conflict that Pastor Jim had when he was in love with Doris. And they were going to be married. They already had obtained a marriage license. And then Stephen Olford came to Providence Bible Institute, where Pastor Jim was attending, and he challenged the students from Romans 12, 1 and 2, that, they, that the students need to present their bodies, a living sacrifice. And after the message, Pastor Jim couldn't get out of his chair because he knew he should not marry Doris. But he loved her. And there he sat with the struggle between his knowledge and his feelings. And the question for him, which one was he going to elevate over the other? Would feelings be elevated over knowledge, or would knowledge be elevated over feelings? And he got the victory, and he elevated knowledge over feelings, and he called Doris and called the marriage off. In these verses, we see Isaac's internal conflict between knowledge and feelings. In verse 37, where he rose, he elevated, he rose up, and he elevated knowledge over his feelings. Verse 39, he sunk down, and he elevated his feeling over knowledge. So in verse 39, being led by his feelings, he gives Esau the blessing. The land, oh, the land, he says. The land, it's going to be fat, fatness for you, lush, full of the dew from God. Same blessing he gave to Jacob in verse 28. He said, I only got one blessing. Or it was obvious, only one blessing. No, he just, okay, we'll just, you know, let's get the copy machine out. We'll make another copy. (laughs) Why did he do that? Because he was led by his feelings. Now, the real question is, okay, that's fine, but now the real question is, what about God? That's the question. Did God agree with Isaac's blessing of Esau in verse 39? And that's an important question for us because it gets down to the fundamental question of, okay, if I'm led by my feelings instead of my knowledge, will God honor it anyway? You want to led by my feelings? I mean, I know I shouldn't marry her, but I love her, and if I marry her, then, you know, God will make it all work out anyways, and so it's okay to ignore what I know and be, go with what I feel. So that's a question that we really get into in verse 39. What about God? Did God agree with verse 39? Well, we see the answer, the answer to the question, did God agree with Isaac's blessing? See it in Malachi 1.3. That's where God gave his statement. Malachi 1.3 says, I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. So being led by his feelings, Isaac blesses Esau with the fatness of the earth. But in Malachi 1.3, it doesn't sound that way. Malachi 1.3, God says, I laid those mountains and his heritage wastelands. Isaac blesses Esau with fatness of the earth, and God says, laid waste. Now, we see in verse 40, there's a turn in Isaac. 
And he's no longer is talking about Esau having the fatness of the earth, but now we see he changes his whole tone. And he says, by thy sword shalt thou live. Serve thy brother. Come to pass and he shall have dominion. Break his yoke. So now, all of a sudden in this blessing, violence. Isaac is speaking about violence. And he starts off with this word sword. Sword. Never saw a sword and a blessing before. This is sword. Never saw sword before, except for one other place in Genesis, which was where? That's it. That was the only other place. It was the swords of the cherubs. Matter of fact, the word sword is cherub. So he said, that's the swords, the only other place there, when he was expelled from the garden. But now Esau's characterized by the sword. He's characterized by a bloodthirsty violence, which is the same description that Abraham gave to Ishmael in Genesis 16, 12, when he said, and he will be a wild man. His hand will be against every man, every man's hand against him. He'll dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Ishmaelites and the people who came from Esau are characterized by violence. And here we see Esau characterized as living by the sword. You know, isn't it interesting that the symbol for the terrorist groups in the Middle East is the sword? Isn't it interesting that the symbol for Saudi Arabia is the sword? Two swords? See, war, pillage, robbery, terror. That's how they support themselves in a barren country. Isn't it interesting that the word Hamas means violence? I mean, who would name the group you belong? What group do you belong? I belong to the group called violence. A group described in verse 40, by thy sword shalt thou live. And in the rest of verse 40, Isaac goes on to predict this is going to be this violent uprising and down and up. And Now, in verse 41, 41, we read about how all this settled in for Esau with the words. Okay, you just heard the, the, so the blessing. Verse 41, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then I will slay my brother Jacob. And Esau hated his brother because of the blessing. That hatred goes on today. It's still unresolved. Those who hate God's people hate God's people because God's people are the apple of God's eye. The basis for the hatred is the blessing of God. The more God makes the people to prosper, the more the hatred grows. That's the hatred of envy. And the hatred of envy is a special hatred. And Solomon says, okay, I'll tell you, in Proverbs 27, 4, he says, wrath, that's cruel. Anger, that's outrageous. But who's able to stand before envy? That's a notch above. And the worst part about Esau is not his revenge against Jacob, but his entire rebellion against God, his entire unbelief in God, and refusal to submit to God's decision. I ran out of time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, Lord, giving us this narrative of what happened here and teaching us. And we pray, Lord, that we in no way would go the way of Cain and Esau, and that also, Lord, we would elevate knowledge above our feelings. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. 
friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor. That's T-O-M-C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor, at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. What are you doing this Thursday? Come to the Creation Earth History Museum in Santee, California at 6.30 p.m. for our Thursday night Bible study and fellowship. Our Bible study happens every Thursday night at 6.30 p.m. This Thursday, we'll study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. We'll have expert guest speakers from the Southern California Seminary with Dr. John Baumgartner and Dr. Christopher Cohn and Dr. Kenneth Cumming, who will join our Creation and Earth History Museum staff as we study the truth of the Bible, science, and compare that to the life and work of Charles Darwin. Bring an atheist or unbeliever to the Bible study and fellowship and join us this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, off Woodside Avenue North. Call us for more information. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or go online to creationsd.org. That's creationsd.org. Creationsd.org.